Hello, I'm Cahill Summers. And I'm Georgia Lynn. Your Chagas Sustainability Advisors. And you're welcome to the Chagas Environment Edge podcast, bringing you the latest information, science and opinion to improve farm sustainability. Hello everyone, and with Water Quality Week coming up um, from the 22nd to the 26th of March, we spoke to Jenny Deacon, who's the manager of the catchments unit in the EPA. Was there any part of the conversation, um, Cahal, that particularly interested or resonated with you? Yeah, no, Jenny is always great to talk to and it's absolutely full of information. So I suppose the big thing there that I really liked was um, Jenny is into into modelling, trying to identify what's going to happen in the future water quality. So we spoke a bit about uh, the the recent droughts we've had, the heavy rainfalls, the kind of different type of winters we're having, the extreme rainfall events that we're getting. And uh, I suppose Jenny, what they're looking at is trying to predict what's going to happen, how how we solve the problem. So I found that really interesting. Excellent. And um, we also spoke to Pat Murphy, who's Chagas Head of Environment Knowledge Transfer. And I suppose what really interested me um, about the conversation was that we were way worse in the 90s in terms of water quality and nutrient emissions. Um, But trends have improved. And I suppose he spoke to us um, about how Chagas are working with the farmers and also industry through our research programs or advisory programs or education programs on implementing changes on farms. Yeah, it was a good conversation because sometimes we forget when we're we're here in the media all the time, the water quality is always is getting worse. We kind of forget, actually, we we were quite bad in the 90s and a huge amount of work has been done. And Pat's pointed out several things that farmers have put in place to to help solve the problem. And look, he said himself, he knows there's a problem there again and we have to just get on top of it before it gets out of hand. We spoke to Jenny earlier and I asked her, what's the current situation with water quality in Ireland today? compared to 20 years ago. So where we're at now is we have around half of our rivers and lakes in good condition. Our groundwaters are pretty good. We've uh, a, a quite a high proportion of groundwaters in good condition and similarly with our coastal waters. But probably the, the one water body type that's in the biggest trouble is our estuaries. We've only 38% of our estuaries in good ecological condition, as we call it. So good water quality condition. So we have a lot of work to do really with our estuaries and our lakes and our rivers. The biggest problem we have is that we have too much nutrients Uh, getting in, which causes uh, an imbalance in the growth of algae in the systems. It's called eutrophication. And essentially that nutrient problem, too much nutrient coming not only from agriculture, but also from from people, from urban wastewater. So on balance, where we do have problems, about half of those problems are are attributable to to agriculture, but the rest would then be uh, lots of other sources of nutrients. And I suppose, too, it's important to point out it's not only all about nutrients, we also have some issues in, in places with uh, too many chemicals and pesticides getting into the water, particularly where we need to drink that water. And also uh, a kind of a new impact that's really the science is developing on is impacts to the, the habitat conditions in our rivers and lakes. So the kind of drainage works that we do and the removal of gravels and, and that from screen streams or putting in barriers or weirs or bridges, that kind of impedes the flow of fish up and down the rivers and sediment. And that can cause a, a problem as well for our, the health of our aquatic ecosystems. So if we look back then 20 years ago, we're actually better now than we were 20 years ago, in particularly in relation to the nutrients. 
we've made major strides if we look back towards the 19 the late 1990s we probably had the highest nutrient emissions that we've had over the last 30 years and there were huge strides made huge investments by farmers on farm with new story storage and the new rules as the as the new gap regs came in etc and we were at our best really in terms of nutrient emissions in around 2012 13 but since then now the, the the trends have changed again and the the increases are starting again in the emissions of nutrients to water so we really need to take the action now so that we don't end up back where we were uh, 20 odd years ago. Yeah, and Jenny, I suppose a lot of people are familiar with kind of water quality at the moment. It's, it's, you know, it's very topical. It's been spoken about an awful lot. And we know we're in a bit of an issue. With, well, I suppose agriculture is one of our biggest industries in our country. And obviously we have to con contribute to issues around water quality. And there is a bit of a change in our industry at the moment. But a lot of farmers are aware that, that quality, water quality testing is going on and, and they've seen people hanging in over bridges, taking samples. But I suppose the question will be, how, how do you monitor water quality in Ireland or how is it assessed? Where do you get all the data from? So the EPA manages the National Monitoring Programme and it, it's very comprehensive. There's uh, lots of different types of things are monitored. So we do do our standard uh, chemistry monitoring that you've described nicely there, Cahill, where you hang over bridges and you take samples and then you measure the nutrients and the various different chemicals that are in the water. That's one set of sampling that we do. But we also do a sampling of the, the biological indicators in the water. So by that, I mean the fish, how healthy are the fish, how healthy are the ins insects, and how healthy are the aquatic plants. So we have monitoring programs that cover all of those things. And when we look at the, the data that we get back from all of those different elements, if you like, and put them all together, that tells us then how healthy are our water quality. So it's not just, as I said, all about nutrients, but it's also about what's living in the water and how healthy is the habitat that they live in. Yeah, it's funny because when, when we go out, you know, we're asset advisors, when we go out on the farm and we're chatting to people, the minute you start talking about chemistry, the eyes are starting to get heavy, people are starting to go sleep. But when you bring them to the river and get the, say the, the law per scientists come down and do a kick sample and look at the macroinvertebrates in the river and see the life in the river, it, you know, it really focuses the mind. Absolutely. There's nothing like, uh, uh, you know, people remember and they relate much better to their memory of seeing fish in the river and seeing the birds and the insects and the plants. And, and you can see how, how maybe in some places that might have changed over time. Yeah, because the other thing there's a lot of farmers would associate good water quality with fish. And like, I suppose when I was in college, I would have learned about uh, kick sampling. But until I've actually seen it the first time in reality, you'd nearly be afraid to take your shoes off and walk across the river with the stuff that lives in it. <laughs> and I think that that really surprises people. It's true. It's true. Yeah. It's quite a lot of life in there. Yeah, it's like the circle of life. So the fish have to eat something. If the food is not there, the fish are gone as well. That's exactly it. Spot on. Um, Jenny, we have the Water Framework Directive, and I suppose out of that, we have the River Basement Management Programme, which is Ireland's response to that. Um, could you elaborate a little bit on where we're at and what the River Basement Management Plan is trying to achieve? Please. Okay, so we're obliged, as all member states are, to 
to get a plan in place effectively for dealing with our water quality issues. And when I say dealing with the water quality issues, it's not only fixing the places where there's problems, but there's it's also what do we do everywhere else to protect water from water quality from deteriorating. So every six years we put together a plan called a river basin management plan. And that plan is our response to our obligations under the Water Framework Directive. And it essentially sets out that all member states have to achieve good ecological status it's called so it's it's essentially healthy water quality and healthy fish and insects that live in that water quality uh, in all our waters at least good because we do we're fortunate enough in Ireland to still have some high quality as well which would be better than good so we've to set out and try and achieve those objectives in all our water quality and we have to put in place programs and measures as they're called essentially action plans for how we're going to deal that with that for all of the different issues that are in place so ireland is in the process of developing its third river basin management plan at the moment it's uh, due out later this year in draft for a consultation period and then it'll be in place when it is finally adopted it'll be in place for the six years from 2022 until 2027 and in that plan, then, there'll be actions in place, not only for agriculture, but also for the urban wastewater sector, for forestry, for uh, dealing with the impacts we have from peat extraction uh, and all of the different uh, pressures, I suppose, that impact on our water quality. Um, I suppose the other thing is that we see on the ground, like that farmers are engaging, you know, with the actions and the solutions that we're trying to put in place. Um, some of them are regulatory and some of them are voluntary. Um, so I suppose going forward, do you think is our license to farm under threat if we don't meet our objectives um, under, under the river basement um, management targets? There's kind of two things in there for me, Deirdre. The, I mean, the first thing is, yes, we do have targets to meet international obligations, legal obligations to meet. But but really, if we step back from that and look at it more from first principles, it's it's in our own interest as a country to have our water quality in good shape. You know, we all need water quality to be good for drinking, for uh, for animals to drink, for our factories, for, you know, even computer systems. Everyone needs water to be healthy and everyone likes to see healthy ecosystems that rely on that water, healthy birds, healthy fish, healthy insects. So it's really, regardless of what the EU are telling us we should do, it's really in our own interest to try and get our water quality up to where it needs to be. So it's great to see through your ASA program that there is such engagement. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of interest out there in in trying to work together and take a, a collaborative approach to trying to deal with these issues and to try. I mean, everyone has a role to play. We're all we're all part of the problem, but yet we're all part of the solution, too. So really, it's about coming together and using the tools that we have, the knowledge that we have to best effect and everyone putting the shoulder to the wheel and, and working in the same direction to achieve the same ends. And Jenny, I, I know as part of your, um, I suppose, program within the EPA that you look at modelling and, and different models. Um, what is a model or how do you use it? So there's lots of different kinds of models. And I suppose really in summary, it's, it's just a, a representation of a system that can help you to run different scenarios and see what happens. And it can be as simple as just a picture 
or it can be as complex as a, a computer model that will tell you uh, that's full of numbers and, and rules, etc. And I suppose in simple terms, just to give you a couple of examples, Chagas could have models for of dairy farm system or a beef system where you can put in different scenarios at different stocking rates and feed and fertilizer. And then your model can tell you what effects changing those ratios would have on your overall farm profit. So that's a model. EPA then has models of catchments, and we use those models to figure out what are the main sources of nutrients, for example, in a catchment, and where's the balance of the load coming from, be it urban wastewater or agriculture. And so models can be very simple or very complex. They're uh, inevitably very dependent on the data that we have to put into them. And I suppose really we need to be upfront and say that all models are wrong, but some models are more useful than others. So it's important that we just use them as they're intended to be used as a guide, as part of a wider toolbox, I suppose, to help us understanding what's going on in the environment. Um, do so, you think that, yeah, sorry, Deirdre, sorry, Jenny, do, you, do you think the modeling provides consistency in decision-making tools? Absolutely. It can be very helpful for, for weighing up different scenarios and, and seeing what's the best option. It can also be, models can also be very useful for weighing up uh, what might happen in different parts of the country if you, if you try out different things. So as I say, it's part of our toolbox really to help us understand uh, exactly what's going on in places and what the right measures, the right measures might be. One really nice model that, that we've looked at recently is, I suppose, our greenhouse gas model where it tells us if we stay doing what we're doing right now, it shows us where our greenhouse gas, uh, I suppose, emissions will be in 10, 20 years time, if we're going to meet targets or not. But then it shows us if we put certain mitigation in place, the model changes to a lower emission. Do you have something similar for water quality? Like what, what does the future look for, like for us in, say, 20 years time, if we continue to stick on the trend we're going now that, you know, water quality decreasing? We're actually doing some research in this area that's just started this year because we have a major, a major uh, element that needs to be inbuilt into the, the water quality models, and that is our changing climate. So, as you know, our, our, the climate predictions for Ireland are that we're going to have much drier summers like we had in 2018 was a real eye opener, really, where we had such a dry summer. And we're going to have wetter winters and more intensive uh, rainfall events. So we really need to be developing models. And as I said, we're starting into a big research program now to look at uh, essentially climate proofing our measures and our actions and trying to build more resilience into our farming systems. What does it look like if we have uh, drier summers, for example, do we uh, what impact is that going to have on water quality? And as I say, we got some insights into that in 2018 with the dry summer that we had where we had uh, a lot more mineralization. There was a bit more nitrogen used, I suppose, in desperation really to get grass grow to grow in the lack of uh, rainfall. And then we saw a major push then in the autumn where the the extra mineralization that had happened pushed more nitrogen out into the into the waters. So I suppose the question is then, you know, if we can if we can model the climate and we can model what might happen using current practice, how do we need to adapt our practice to be a bit more resilient and build in a bit more buffer into the system uh, going forward? And a simple example might be, for example, uh, what, uh, what could we do in terms of our species, our grassland species, uh, to help us keep 
the grass in the field for longer if we run out of rainfall during the summer. You know, I know other countries use drought tolerant species, for example, in their mixed wards. So is that one thing that we could use our models to help understand it would, how, how useful that would be? Do we have enough slurry storage to cope with the heavy rainfall? and the more intense rainfall and the wetter winters, that, that'd be another question that we could use. So there's a lot of interest and a lot of uh, work to be done scientifically in building these models to, to really, uh, now that it's, it's becoming more apparent what the climate change impacts are likely to be, we can uh, develop those models to, to build in some understanding of how those climate changes will impact on water and what kind of adaptations do we need to make with our actions on farm to try and build in that resilience, as I said. I think that's hugely important, actually, because I, I, when you were on the signpost series with the Chagas one a while ago, you, you said it really resonated with me when you talked about the drought in 2018. You said far, farmers probably threw nitrogen at it a bit in desperation because the grass wasn't growing. Uh, and like we saw that, like you kind of the last thing you, you want to blame is is lack of water. But that was the reality of the situation. And unfortunately, because there was nutrients in the soil and we had mineralization, that at the end of the year, then we got a big bang of nitrogen in, in, in the water. So I suppose what we have to learn going forward is uh, don't stick your hand in the fire twice. We have to learn from our mistakes. And not, not alone is it, I suppose, a water quality issue, but it's uh, it's 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 on the farmer's pocket. It's a loss of money. So I, I think the, the modeling idea is really good. Um, Jenny, do you think we're... Go I'm oh, sorry, dear. I'm talking over you again. Yeah, we're we're not used to drought in this country, you know. So we we we've a lot to learn from our our colleagues in uh, Australia, New Zealand, and places who have to deal with this all the time. So there's there's lots of tools out there, I think. But we, we just 2018 really opened all our eyes as to what the potential uh, this might bring going yeah. forward if if these trends continue. And that was a really weird year as well because um, not only did we have a drought, we had a very wet spring. Then we had a, a really bad drought. And then following up, we had this unusually mild winter, which is, is it's very uncommon for this country, but hopefully it's yeah. not going to be like that all the time. I don't know. There, <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of extremes all happened in the last five years. If you look at it, you know, you've just pointed out a handful there yourself. It's uh, it's quite striking. And I think it's something that we're going to probably need to consider as part of the new norm. Are there any lessons that we could learn from New Zealand or from Australia um, going forward? Or are we setting the trend or setting the curve in respect to our collaboration and our, our approach um, to, you know, um, sorting out the water quality issues here in Ireland? I think there's a bit of both is the answer to that question, Deirdre. There's been uh, there's been a lot of interest in New Zealand and in other member states at our in our collaborative approach and in the ASA program and the the, the law pro approach where you actually go out into catchments, you, you find you do your local science to find the problems and then you work with farmers uh, to respond to those particular issues that are relevant to their farms. There's huge interest internationally in our approach there and I get quizzed on it all the time when I when I bring it up. People are really interested in it. Uh, and added to that then are tools and maps that we've been developing as well, I think, and the, and the expertise at farm level and advisor level to actually deal with these issues in a proactive way in a collaborative way and not just have to you know rely only on the legislation because that'll only ever get you so far really it's about understanding what's happening on the farm and, and making changes that are that are going to work for the farmers and for the local environment and the issues so I think we are leading the way on that where I think we can learn from New Zealand and uh, Australia and we talked about it there is 
they they are i suppose ahead of us in the the climate space you know they have to deal all the time with dry periods and wet periods and they they have a, a lot more resilience inherently built into their systems i suppose based on experience they're also uh, doing an awful lot of research on on what's actually happening in the, in the ground and with nutrients etc and so we can always learn from them, but but they also learn from us, you know, and I know Chagas have good links with the New Zealand researchers over and back as would we. So, so yeah, lots to learn, but but equally we're we're no slow dozers ourselves too. We need to give ourselves some credit for that. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> but, um, actually, it's funny. I was looking at Twitter there a couple, a month or so ago, and I saw a guy from, from New Zealand and he was showing us his buffer zones. So they're really good buffer zones and riparian margins. He was so confident that the river going down to his farm was clean that he got into the river, sat into it, pulled the glass out of his pocket and started drinking <laughs> straight out of the river. So uh, hopefully he was okay the next day. But uh, one last question, Jenny, just uh, to finish off, because it's actually been a great conversation. You mentioned at the very start that our estuaries are, are the one thing that's a little bit worrying you. Well, uh, amongst obviously the lakes and the rivers, but um, what we hear a lot about algae blooms now is what's the link there? So the algae blooms come and, and it's not only in the estuaries, but it can also be in freshwaters as well in lakes. The algae blue comes comes when there's uh, too much nutrient in the water and uh, temperature is also a factor and you get an explosion in growth of algae. And some of these algae are just uh, natural and they're fairly benign. And you'd see them on the surface of the water, but they, they wouldn't be doing anyone any harm. Some of them, though, can be toxic. And that's not great if, you know, dogs could could get sick, for example, or people could get sick if you swim in it. But thankfully, for the most part, the ones that we get here don't seem to be uh, too toxic, but they are they can be unsightly and they're not uh, they're not great for swimming in. So certainly that would be an issue. But Really, I suppose the main concern for us would be in the estuaries is just the imbalance that too much nutrient brings. And that can that can be uh, reflected in just even too much seaweed. I don't know if you'd have seen any of the pictures, but there are some of the estuaries down along the south coast where there's just mountains of sea lettuce or, or bright green algae, which has grown in response to the, the huge amount of nutrient that's in some of the, the bays there. So that's it just upsets the whole balance and... It, you mentioned it earlier, Cahill, it's the, you know, the, the web of life, the, the balance between the food source and the things that live in the food source and the, in the, the water quality that they all live in. That whole circle and the web, the ecosystem web is, is just totally off whack and it, and it puts everything out and, and results in, a, in an aquatic ecosystem that isn't healthy. So in the, the main response really is just to reduce the nutrients that are that are causing that imbalance. Is that any specific nutrient or is it, is it one or the other or both? So it's 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 both because all living things have a combination of nitrogen and phosphorus. And in the estuarine environment, the ratio is about one to 16. So you get one part phosphorus will respond with uh, 16 parts nitrogen. Uh, so it's uh, it's very it, it's finely balanced. And when you upset that balance by putting in loads of nitrogen, and there's loads of phosphorus already in the sea that just causes a huge explosion. So what we what we tend to work on is in the freshwater system, we're more concerned about bringing the phosphorus concentrations down uh, to, to prevent that balance from from being tipped. The rivers and lakes, the freshwaters are more sensitive to phosphorus. So it's we really try to drive the phosphorus measures for rivers and lakes. But when it comes to 
the estuaries, it's nitrogen that's the more sensitive uh, uh, nutrient there. So we tend to try and drive the nitrogen down then to fix that balance for the estuarine environment. Now, the sources of nitrogen and phosphorus are typically the same. They're, they're, they're agricultural sources, nutrients and fertilizers, and, and also coming from people. But it's how they get into the streams that is different. So the nitrogen tends to go through the poorly draining soils. They're the most risky and off down into the rivers and into the estuaries. So there's a, you know, the, there's a certain bundle of measures for that sort of environment. Whereas the phosphorus measures tend to be more driven by overland flow on poorly draining soils. And so the, the types of measures there are about breaking the pathway. So it's very different depending on, on what your problem is in your local waterway, whether it's a phosphorus problem or a nitrogen problem, there's, a di there's different risky areas in the landscape for that and then different measures that are actions that are needed to respond to those. No, that's brilliant. Thanks a million, Jenny. That, that's a really good conversation, I think, uh, for us and for the farmers that we visit. We can appreciate, like, if we don't understand the problem, we can't come up with a solution. So, no, thanks. Thanks a million, Jenny. That, that was brilliant. Thank you. Thanks, Jenny. Thanks very much. Next, we spoke to Pat Murphy, who is the head of Environment Knowledge Transfer in Chagask. And the first thing we asked Pat was, what exactly um, is your role in Chagask? Okay, my title is, is Head of Environment Knowledge Transfer, a bit of a, a mouthful, but uh, in essence, I lead the development and rollout of the Environment Advisory Programme in, in Chagask. And that involves, I suppose, uh, uh, specific initiatives and leading speci specific initiatives like ASAP, but also involves integrating environment elements into the, the wider uh, enterprise programme. And that involves, I suppose, also developing uh, and working with researchers to uh, bring the research that they are developing into those programs and also involves the developing of support tools for advisors like NMP online and in the past the carbon the carbon navigator and in recent times it involves a huge element of working with other organizations and bodies uh, to support sustainability issues and that includes working with uh, government organizations, local authorities, uh, agribusiness and, and, and private advisors. So there's a huge breadth to, I suppose, the, the job I have in, in, in Chagask. And the, the good thing on that, Pat, is uh, over the last couple of years, there's been a biodiversity crisis announced, water quality issues, greenhouse gas issues and ammonia issues. So you're going to be busy for a few years anyway, but I suppose... No shortage of workload. No, exactly. But look, it's look, we know agriculture is changing rapidly. Um, and look, we just have to, I suppose, adapt and change with it and try, try and come up with, with solutions. But I suppose with Water Week this week, uh, the big thing in my mind is we, we spoke to Jenny earlier on about the issues that, that are, I suppose are relating to agriculture. Uh, we are one of the biggest enterprises at 66% of the land uses under agriculture in the country. And I know in the EPA report from 2013 to 2018 that you know there is some issues there and there's pressures from water quality from agriculture. How are Chagas as a whole addressing the issues? Okay, I break it down into, to, I suppose, three elements, and, and, and Chagas' role is, has those three elements, is research, advisory, and, and education. Uh, on the research side, and I suppose primarily through the Ag Catchments Programme, we're looking at the causes, uh, the pathways of, of, water, uh, of issues that cause water problems. And over the last number of years, I think we've learned a huge amount about how farming impacts on water quality. And I suppose that other element of, of that is then looking at, at those impacts and looking at how we can uh, 
uh, reduce them in a cost effective manner. And that's the main uh, thing that a, a research is trying to do. And then advisory, uh, on the advisory side, we have the asset program, which uh, yourself and, and Deirdre are, are, are working in. And there we work with law pro, work with industry uh, to, uh, in identified priority areas for action and to work with farmers in those areas to identify and resolve issues that uh, relate to water quality in, in those areas. But secondly, uh, in relation to the work of ASAP and the broader work, it's, it's integrating uh, water quality issues into the broader advisory service. And that's something I think which has ramped up massively in the last couple of years with the realization that water quality is now an issue that we really need to solve and, and really need to solve rapidly. And we do that through uh, working with discussion groups in education programs, and creating that link right across the advisory service to make sure that water quality is on the, the, the top of the agenda. And I suppose thirdly then is the whole area of, of education and education both for established farmers and for, for young entrants. And I think one of the key things there is to develop an understanding of how water quality can be impacted by farming to, to understand the principles underneath it. And, and then if you understand that, you can then have uh, a, a possibility of implementing changes that will re reduce it. So I think we work effectively across those three areas. Yeah, that, that's interesting actually, Pat, because the, the, when you think about it, the, the advisor link to the farmer is the key. And like we have lots and lots of research out there um, and it's just getting that research to the ground to try and solve the issues. The other thing you mentioned there, I, I thought really rung a bell with me as well was, um, we have to remember, that I suppose, the core of farming is that people have to make some money to live and, and yeah. feed their families. And it's a job, obviously, but and trying to find that balance then between what we do on the farm that's not negatively impacting on the environment. And I suppose trying to find that sweet spot is the difficult part. Yeah. And, and to try and identify those cost effective issues uh, and those things that we can do that don't interfere with productivity or don't cost a whole pile and make sure to, to get those implemented. Yeah, totally agree. And Pat, um, as you've just detailed, there's an awful lot of work going on in Chagask in terms of research and dissemination to promote good science and good practice um, in the agricultural sector. What are the biggest changes that you've seen in Chagask in the last 20 to 30 years in our focus um, on reducing the agri-sector's impact on water quality? Suppose if you, if you went back 30 years ago and you, if, when you heard about water quality and farming, what it was was in a, every day or every week in the news, it was word of a, a fish kill or, or a, a pollution incident. And I suppose what happened first was a concerted effort to deal with those issues with farmers and, and government, I suppose, investing heavily in, in facilities and assisted by, by advisors. And then after that, we had, I suppose, the introduction of, of the Nitrates and Water Framework Directive, which brought a regulation around the, the use of nutrients, which dramatically cut the level of nutrient use and, and improved uh, uh, nutrient efficiency. And I suppose, uh, in general, over the last 20 years in particular, we've had a huge increase in the understanding of the issues around water, uh, water quality. Uh, about the dynamics of 
the, the of nitrogen and, and phosphorus and how, how they have an impact, but also in terms of, of our information about individual river catchments and the issues that, that each one of them has. I mean, we have a huge amount of, of yeah, information there. And I suppose in the last four or five years, we've just had a massive increase in the focus on, on, on water quality. And I suppose right across Irish, the industry in Ireland is a determination now to resolve the issues of, of water quality. And that's driven at one, you could say at, at EU level, but it is also heavily driven now at national government level. And industry, uh, dairy industry and beef industry have fairly heavily uh, come in behind it with an understanding that we can't continue to, to produce without cognizance of, of uh, improving water quality. So I think the final change then, I think over the, particularly in the last two to three years has been the attitude of farmers. And I think we are seeing a massive shift in the acceptance of farmers that there's a problem there and in the determination of those farmers to actually do something about it. Just on that there, Pat, as well, when, when, when I knew we were gonna have a chat to you, I said I'd have a quick look uh, we knew we were going to ask you that question. Um, what, what's the change in the last 20, 30 years? Now, I didn't go back quite 30 years, but I went back in the in the mid-90s to my ag science um, when I'd done my green cert up in Warrenstown at the time. So I opened up the book. I looked, I have one book on the environment and it encompasses all the environment, biodiversity, all the, the gases, the water, the whole lot. And then about 15 books on all the other enterprises. I think uh, what you've just said there, that that's completely turned upside down now. It's a completely opposite. The environment is really dominating the last three years, which, which is really positive. And I just I opened up one page, there's a small chapter on water quality. And one of the pictures on it is actually a, a dribble bar spreader. And there's a price I have written down here, 18,000 pounds was at the time, which I thought was curious. They're only really hitting, hitting farms now in the last, say, five to 10 years. Um, and the other thing that, are, and, and Deirdre has a question for you about this in a minute, is... Um, the book is mostly dominated by the rep scheme. So it yeah, was and, interesting. Yeah, That's and right. I suppose yeah. that rep scheme was was the beginning uh, for an awful lot of farmers and advisors uh, of mention of, of the importance of, of a broad range of environmental issues. So I think everybody has learned a huge amount in, in the space of, of, of 20 years. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose over the last 20 years as well, Pat, um, Chagas and indeed private planners have successfully delivered agri-environmental schemes in the format of the Rural Environmental Protection Scheme or REPS, which was extremely popular, the AOS scheme and the GLOSS scheme. Um, I suppose these schemes, um, they were very prescriptive. Um, I suppose you were paid for actions or defined actions and as per scheme regulations. Do you think going forward um, that these results based agri-environmental schemes um, based on environmental outcomes will be an effective way um, to improve water quality? And do you think that this model is our future? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about the fact that, that uh, agri-environmental schemes are going to go very much towards uh, a results-based. I think we need to be careful about how what we define as results. Results may be the outcome of, of environmental goods in terms of high water quality, uh, or biodiversity or whatever. But I think we need to be really cognizant as well that we're dealing with a very broad spectrum of farming uh, from highly environmentally supportive to some which is challenging the environment. And I think it's really important that under the, the, the guise of results, we also include the 
movement from a bad position to a not so bad position. So in other words, it's the journey and we should be targeting the journey, not just the, the final outcome. Because if we look at just targeting high levels of environmental performance at the, at the end, we may turn off a lot of farmers who are a long way from that and don't see themselves get, getting there. So I think the one key thing is we create space to allow every farmer uh, who wants to uh, uh, participate in agri-environmental schemes to do so from their base, moving towards a, be a better outcome, not just focusing on really high quality environmental uh, uh, outcomes. So Pat, I suppose, look, there, there's a bit of pinpointing going on, I suppose, in the last number of years where the quota, I suppose, ceased and, uh, and dairy production increased. And there's a bit of a link there to look at the water quality. It's, it looks like it's in a little bit of decline since that time. Yeah, I, I suppose the issue of, of dairy cow numbers kind of now dominates the, the conversation in, in relation to water quality. And I'll, I'll address the question, but I'll, I'll have a bit of a, a but at the end of it. And there, there's no question. I think increased cow numbers on dairy farms and in dairy areas have, have a number of potential impacts. And I think these include stocking rate on the grazing platform, the use of, of more N and the deposition of N by the extra cows. I think the drive to early grass has pushed the use of nitrogen uh, earlier in the year uh, when there's the highest risk of loss. And I think the, the third element is the pressure on slurry storage has pushed that uh, slurry is going out maybe a, a bit earlier and a bit later than it would have in the past. But I think a lot of these issues are uh, resolvable. But I think one of the big issues I have in relation to, the, the, I suppose, the constant linkage to reduction in water quality to the uh, expansion of the dairy herd is that's taken the focus off where most of the, the problem exists. And I suppose just as, a, as an aside, the highest proportion of good and high water bodies in any county of, in the country is, is in Cork. Now, what that's telling me is there's a lot of other problems right around the country. And in relation to the focus on dairy, I think it's given the impression to people that dairy is the only problem there, when in fact, we have a wide range of problems right around the country that need to be resolved and it needs to be done by, by all farmers, not just dairy farms. So while yes, uh, increased numbers of dairy is putting pressure on, I think it, the uh, focus has to be much broader than the, the increase in dairy and, and the pressure it's putting on. That's, that's actually an important point to make because uh, the EPA will, will tell you that, that so we have the two big issues, or the three big issues are kind of phosphorus, sediment and nitrogen. And, and the EPA will say that phosphorus is not necessarily linked to intensity. It, it can happen on a low intensity farm or high intensity farm. And, and nitrogen is probably more swayed towards the, the intensity. So as intensity increases, nitrogen issues might increase. So like you said, one of the main issues across the country is phosphorus and it's not necessarily linked to intensity. So I suppose it's important we, that we bear that in mind when we're trying to solve the issues. Absolutely. And it would be very important for us to promote nitrogen use efficiency in all areas and all counties as well, I think. Absolutely, yeah. It's, it, and, and I suppose that's the, that's the, the issue here. It's, it's right across the country we have, we have problems uh, in every single county, with every single level of, of intensity of farming. Some land is more challenging for a, a variety of natural reasons than, than, than others. So we got to look 
uh, at every single area, every single catchment that has a problem and try and resolve it, whatever the issues are. Yeah, and I think, um, I suppose, look, Farm to Fork has come in there recently as well. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a fair big change in agriculture over the next few years if we're looking at a 20% fertilizer um, reduction by 2030. And also, it's in there as well that we're, we're trying to increase from around 2 to 3% of organic farming up to 25%. And I suppose, bearing in mind some of the other schemes that were in before, um, where we're trying to, I suppose, meet global food demands, and, and Ireland are quite good at that. Um, ca- can we can we achieve both? Can we continue to, to to meet the demand for food and also take care of the environment, or I suppose to balance both? I think we can. Uh, I think we've we've learned a lot over the, the last while. And uh, you talk about the the twenty percent uh, reduction in uh, 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 fertilizer use, but there's also a 50% reduction in the impact of those, in, in the losses of those, both to water and, and to air. And, and I think that points a direction to us that as well as, as looking at, at those re- uh, reductions, we need to be looking at uh, the improvement in, in the efficiency of use so that we use products that are, are less loss, are less from which less is lost to the environment, both to water and, and, and to air. And also that we get a lot more careful in our use of, of uh, nutrients uh, so that we improve that, that, that efficiency. So that's, just, I suppose, one area. In terms of uh, the ability to achieve those goals, it's going to be hugely challenging. There's no, no question about it. And there are going to be uh, elements where there's, there are going to be degrees of restriction. But I think the, uh, there is an ability there to improve uh, and to reduce the losses that, that we have uh, while at the same time maintaining our output. And those are the areas I think where Chagask has a huge amount of, of uh, focus. Uh, and I, I suppose it's Chagas raison d'etre, if you want, is, is to be there to su- support uh, farmers, both at a commercial and at a, maybe a more extensive level, to produce food, but to do so in a way that's that's not damaging to 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 the environment. So it's it is uh, going to be a huge challenge. There are going to be increased regulations that will cause certain farmers uh, uh, certain difficulties, uh, uh, and those will be aimed at at reducing in, uh, environmental impact. But I think we, we have a capacity uh, to learn, to change the way we do things so that we can produce that food with, without that environmental impact. Yeah, well, I suppose what we're finding, uh, be it in water quality, or there's lots of co-benefits. So you look at the MAC curve, a lot of the stuff that we do to, to I suppose, to take nutrients out of the river or, take, or reduce loss to the atmosphere or to the air, is, is it's a benefit as well to the farm. It's putting money back in the farmer's pocket. I suppose what I always say on the farm is if it's in the river, it's money out of your bank account. Absolutely. And and again, I think a lot of the work that's going on and you could say it's early stage yet, but there there's uh, uh, prospects there in terms of the use of clover, but also in, in the, the, the use of multi-species swords look to have tremendous capability to reduce 
uh, inputs while maintaining output and 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 potentially increasing profit. So there are ways, and we are learning uh, as we are being forced to consider more and more the environmental uh, impacts. We are also coming up with methodologies to in, improve our, our profitability uh, at the same time. So I, I think I wouldn't be negative about it. I think it's uh, improving our environmental uh, outcomes is, can be a, a really positive, uh, uh, can be really positive for Irish farmers. For sure. And like if you look at the evolution of farming over the last 50 years, if there's anybody that can rise to a challenge, it's going to be the, the farming community. Yep, absolutely. Done very it before. True. Okay, thank you, Pat, very much for taking the time out um, to um, chat with us today. I suppose it's clear from our conversation that although we still have a lot of work to do in terms of reducing our impacts on water quality and the environment, we're making great strides um, in the right direction with our research, with our advisory, and also with our joined up thinking and collaboration. Yeah, and, and thanks for the opportunity. And that's it for this episode of the Chagas Environment Edge podcast. Tune into Catherine Egan on the Chagas Beef Edge and Emma Louise Coffey on the Chagas Dairy Edge podcasts, where you will hear more about the OSAP service and what's going on for Water Week. Thanks to Jenny Deacon of the EPA and Pat Murphy Chagask for joining us on the show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Carl Summers. And I'm Deirdre Glenn. Join us next time for the Chagas Environment Edge podcast, signpost to farm sustainability.